Good afternoon. Oh, good morning. Good afternoon and good evening to you, wherever you happen to be. Coming to you live from the halls of Mandos. It's the Selfville Project. <laughs> I guess that's not really a good place to have it. Live yeah. from the... the Anyway, I was trying to think of a good location. I'd rather be live from the Mead Hall of Tulkas, frankly, but... uh, There you go. That's... Okay, well, that's... We'll broadcast from there in a future episode. Yeah. Though Uh, it might be a little rowdy. You know, it might be hard to hear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll have to have, like, party sounds in the background when we're we're broadcasting from there. Um, This is obviously not Dave Kale. This is Trish Lambert, one of the co-hosts of the Sound Film Project, and I'm, we are Dave-less today, sadly, but I, we do have the Tolkien Professor Corey Olson with us, which is fortunate. Good Hello, morning, Corey. everybody. Yeah, we're excited to dig in. We've been doing a lot of great background work, and I am, I'm actually really excited. I, I think that our, the, uh, our, our, our move to do the, the, the sort of preliminary uh, thinking through the uh, the sort of the, you know the cast and the culture and the places and stuff that we've been doing for the last couple of sessions has been really useful as I've been sort of turning and thinking about the story. Um, I find it uh, I find it really handy to have worked all that stuff out to some extent or at least thought about it already. Uh, so I'm excited about that, but really excited to actually begin to dig into the story here. And I can tell that uh, that you guys are as well. The discussion boards have been hopping with ideas and suggestions uh, and. Uh, that's been really great. Great to, to hit the ground running here and uh, get moving in season two. Before we get too uh, involved in things, though, let me make uh, a, a couple announcements because there are a couple exciting things going on in the Mythgard world that you guys should be aware of. Uh, the first is that we have officially opened registration for our next conference, Midmoot, uh, the Mid-Atlantic Consortium, or is it a symposium? I forget what the title is. The full-length title is really impressive. It's like four or five really long words together, but we call it Midmoot. Anyway, it's in... It's going to be so at the appropriately univers- academic title for it. Right? Yes, yes. It's basically <laughs> the title is really to make it sound more impressive, so that if people have to uh, have to put it, because you know there's some people who come in and give uh, give papers at conferences like this, and they have to submit this to like their deans to get travel reimbursement and stuff. So if uh, if if it sounds too frivolous, you know, then there might be a problem with that. So we need to have <laughs> accessible, like some kind of like snootyish academic title, so that it sounds totally <laughs> legit. Um, really, that's kind of that's kind of the purpose. But anyway, you know, we should do um, we should in the future when we do our events, we should do them so that so that they sound snooty, but the acronym is something really fun. <laughs> You're right. That would be perfect. <laughs> would be absolutely perfect. Yeah, that, that way we can we can we can we can we can look at them all with a straight face and be like, no, no, this is really completely serious. Um, that's right. Absolutely. No, I mean, of course, as always, like the the you know Mythgard events have always you know tried to be you know a real marriage between you know scholarship and fun. And, you know, a place where serious scholars can and do come and, you know, present, you know, really thoughtful and interesting new scholarship, um, but also a place where fans can come and uh, really enjoy, you know, immersing themselves in uh, in 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 Tolkien's world, as well as, of course, other things, you know, we, we, we go you know, well beyond Tolkien uh, in imaginative literature, fantasy and science fiction, both uh, at these conferences. So anyway, last year we had... Uh, 
Midmoot, uh, which is sort of our, our, our it's the, it's it's called Midmoot for the Mid Atlantic region, which is uh, which is where it is. It, it was it was this was started several years back, just totally sort of grassroots. Uh, in fact, it was started not only it, not like with the help of people from the Mid Atlantic region, like they just did it themselves entirely and were so courteous as to invite me to it. Uh, so, uh, but, but basically, it's really been uh, it's really been gaining steam in the last couple of years. Last year, we moved it to the University in Maryland, and uh, we had a wonderful one-day conference, uh, which, you know, cost practically nothing, but was a really, really fun day. Um, we're expanding it out a little bit this year because everyone's experience from last year was that was great, but there wasn't enough time for everything. You know, we wanted so much more time to do everything that we did. Um, so we're actually going to make Midmood into a two-day weekend conference this time. It's going to be on on the, uh, the weekend immediately after Bilbo and Frodo's birthday. So it's going to be the weekend of September 24th and 25th at the University of Maryland. Um, it's going to be pretty much all day starting like mid-morning on Saturday. And then it will extend through like a half day on Sunday as well so that we get uh, we get we get plenty of extra time. Uh, Dr. Verlin Flieger uh, is going to be coming, one of the one of the the, sort of the queens of Tolkien, uh, uh, Tolkien scholarship uh, and just one of the one of the most learned and wonderful people that I know. Um, she joined us last year, but uh, uh, again, there was that was a, another reaction that you know she came and she joined us and she uh, she talked for a bit, but it wasn't nearly long enough, and we wanted uh, everyone wanted to be able to hear more from her, so we're going to bring her back for a return engagement this year with that. Um, Anyway, we're also another thing that we're doing uh, with Midmuth that's a little bit different this year is that last year we had uh, you know everybody at the end of the day, well almost everybody, uh, sort of you know we went out and had dinner together. That was a little bit more ad hoc last year. We just kind of went to a to a local restaurant last time, and it was hard to get everybody in seating wise, and uh, so we're, we decided to sort of formalize that a little bit just to make sure that we can have a place where everybody can be. Um, so we're doing a, we're doing a formal banquet this year. Uh, so the, the cost for Midmoot is still really low. Uh, so the, the, so the registration price, the tickets, if you want to come to Midmoot, it's for the whole weekend you know, to participate in the whole weekend is only 30 bucks. Um, still, I think the most fun you can have for 30 bucks in a weekend. Um, uh, well, I, I usually say the most legal fun that you can have, but again, normally the illegal fun costs a good deal more than thirty dollars. So, uh, I think illegal costs way more than that. Exactly, yeah. I think it's I think it's still pretty fair, and uh, uh, and and the, the, there is an extra if you want to join us for the banquet. The you know we, we're we're having a catered banquet, uh, so we have to defray the cost of that, obviously. Uh, but so it's thirty dollars for the weekend. It's fifty dollars for the banquet. So if you want to if you want to come, so if you want to come and not come to the banquet, that's that's totally fine. If you want to join us for the banquet, so it's thirty dollars if you just want to come for the weekend, eighty dollars if you want to come and also join us uh, for the banquet that that Saturday evening. So still pretty dang reasonable. Yeah, yeah, we're actually sort of charging under cost actually for the banquet because uh, we just we want to make it as as reasonable as we can for everybody, uh, even though caterers are usually not reasonable but anyway uh so that's what so just put that on your calendars think about that um uh, the uh the the registration link uh is uh, i'll i'll put that in the chat room so that you guys can all see that um there's the there's the registration and our, our link. Thought- our thought is still to have event event or events like Midmoot happen in the years, for sure happen in the years that Mythmoot's not happening. 
right? Absolutely. At least. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and there have been several people who have said, like, why are you always in the Mid-Atlantic region? Well, the reason that we always do our events in the Mid-Atlantic region is that our people in the Mid-Atlantic region are on the ball, man. Like, they, they, they've organized all this stuff. I haven't done any of that. So, um, so the Mid-Moot, as I said, is a completely, like, grassroots thing, which means if you live somewhere other than the Mid-Atlantic region and there are, you know, other people around you who would like to do an event like this, I'd be totally open to doing that. Just, uh, you know. So Philip Menzies, get cracking. That's right. Austra- you know, uh, <laughs> Australia moot, let's do it. You know, Aussie moot, I, I'm, I'm totally Aussie cool Aussie moot. That. Aussie moot. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it's, uh, but, um, but yeah, so we can, we, we totally talk about that if you want to bring a conference like this to somewhere near you. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. but it's happening. It's happening near DC. And speaking of things happening uh, near DC, just a little, just a little teaser. Um, the next myth moot, as Trish mentioned, it is indeed coming. Uh, we have now officially, uh, we're officially working on uh, more details to come, but next summer, uh, we're looking at next June, uh, is going to be Mythmoot for the long-anticipated Mythmoot Four, uh, which is gonna, which we are expanding into a mega conference thing. It's going to be a four-day conference, uh, and uh, and it's going to be awesome. There's going to be tons of people there. It's going to be the, uh, the 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 Tolkien and fantasy fan scholar scholar. Uh, lit thing of the year next year, I think. So it's going to be it's going to be very cool, and it it also is going to be down in the DC area as well. So just to let you know uh, uh, about what's coming, and so you can kind of you can kind of be thinking about that, and we'll have more details on that uh, to come uh, in the next uh, in the next weeks and months. All right, so those are the, that's the exciting new news. Uh, in uh, in the Mythgard world, let's uh, let's jump back into film film stuff. So the first thing that you know, as we're actually beginning the discussion of the new season, the first thing we need to sort of address is the frame. Um, we've of course decided on what the frame is going to be, but we need, now need to think in a little bit more detail, not only about how we're going to begin with the frame, because of course the you know, frame is going to be scene one of of, uh, of episode one of season two here. But also, sort of in more general terms, what are we going to do with this frame? Because here's the challenge, right? Like, theoretically, on paper, I really love this frame. You know, I, the, the, the kind of thinking through that we did of, um, the, you know, the Arwen, Galadriel, and Kelleborn frame and how, uh, how their discussions and concerns, uh, you know, really all three of them uh, can connect with what's going on uh, in this, you know, in that, that, that the overarching theme and question of like, where is Elven home, right? Where is the, uh, the, the sort of the true destiny of the elves? Do they belong in Middle-earth? Do they belong in Valinor? Um, you know, those questions I think are really cool, especially with Arwen being the heart of that between her, you know, memory of, you know, her memory and grief for uh, the departure of her mother on the one hand um, and the anticipation of her future choice on the other hand, you know, her choice to remain in Middle-earth and marry Aragorn. It makes her really the perfect character to be at, you know, sort of the epicenter of that particular discussion. So I think that's really great. I love the idea. But when it comes to actually thinking about episode by episode, you know, planning... Uh, we have to like imb- acknowledge the fact that this frame has the chance of being super boring, 
right? Super boring. There's like nothing to happen, right? This, I mean, it kind of seems yeah, like... Yeah, it'd be like a dinner with Andre kind of thing or something. Yeah, I mean, know? it's just going to be yeah. like a talky-talk frame all the time, right? Like, and now we bring you a different conversation between Galadriel and Arwen and Celeborn. Perhaps only two of them or something, you know. Uh, like, maybe we can have a fun episode, uh, a fun, wild, crazy, bizarre episode in which only Arwen and Celeborn are talking, and they're talking about Galadriel <laughs> behind her back. Like, I don't know. I mean, but that that's like as like feisty as we're going to get, basically, in this frame, I think. There's like no chance for action well, or even really much happening, right? Because it, I it, wonder, I mean, can we make a story? I mean, we did this with, I think, with with uh, Estelle, you know, there was kind of a story involved there, you know, there was a, so that we had this thing of, you know, him being taught and, and, you know, mom and Elrond having sort of some conflict and stuff. I mean, I'm wondering if, you know, and we do have sort of the conflict kind of laid out in the fact that Arwen's like a, you know, pro Middle Earth, let's stay in Middle Earth, why are we leaving thing? Um, Activist, if you will, Um, sort of a generational thing going on. Um, And I'm wondering if there can be some occurrences, you know, um, that rather than the conversation going on at a table, you know, over coffee or whatever they drink, it it actually is sort of an ongoing thing, but it's happening around occurrences. Well, see, Um, that's the difficulty, though. I mean, remember our setting, right? Our setting is Lothlorien. Our setting is the place where so little happens that the Fellowship of the Ring spends a month there, and they're like, I thought it was only a few days. Has a month gone by? Wow. Like, we've just been hanging out here and kind of sleeping and resting and listening to elves sing, and before you knew it, doggone it, a whole month has gone by, right? Like, that's 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 our setting, right? So, I mean, and and it's possible. Uh, 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 Marie was doing some, you know, wonderful reminders of the chronology uh, yeah. on the discussion yeah. boards that... You know, remember we've just had uh, uh, Bilbo returning at the end of season one, right? So, so chronologically, our frame story is right post Erebor. In other words, the only dramatic thing to occur in that entire region for a century <laughs> has just happened, right? So we, we don't even have conflict with the necromancer to be able to like. There can't even be skirmishes with uh, with the necromancer because he's gone. Um, not that we necessarily. And Gollum has nothing to do. I'm trying to remember where Go- Gollum's not. Gollum's no, I mean, right? no, yeah, he's not going to be anywhere around well. here yet. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he yeah. will have come out, but, uh, um, but uh, you know, he's going to be coming out, and then he's going to he's going to be tracking Bilbo towards Erebor still. So, um, anyway, there's 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 uh, so basically, I, I mean, I I think our really our only option here is to embrace the fact that we're not going to have action, right? I mean, that basically that all of the yeah. drama of the frame is going to be internal drama. It's just going to be like, you know, psychological drama, basically. Um, and yeah. and that's okay. I mean, I, I, I think that's that's not terrible. It does mean, as uh, as, as Marie was just suggesting here, um, we uh, we'll probably have to keep it brief. You know, we're not going to want to And I think it's a challenge for the script writers, you know, because yeah. it's it's the drama, you know, for there to be really, you know, convincing drama going on through simple dialogue, basically, and the actors' talents, yeah. um, you know, that's going to be a challenge for sure. I think it, it's doable. It's just a challenge. Yeah, it is, but I mean, if you think about it, that's, I mean, it's not hugely different from the situation that we had in season one to start with, right? I mean, we no, had, that's true. we at least had a young boy, 
right? And so he he right. he could go around and do things. And there were a couple, uh, you know, in the, especially in the um, in the outlines that you guys were, uh, you know, that that our script writers were doing, you know, they were having a few more episodes of like, you know, not exactly. Uh, young Estelle getting up to wild hijinks in Rivendell, but anyway, him doing something, you know, running around and fighting with swords and stuff like that. Whereas we're not even going to be able to get that kind of level of action in season two, but still the, the drama of the frame of season one was still psychological. You know, the, the growth and learning of Estelle and the tension between Gilrine and, and, and Elrond, we're not going to have tension quite that sharp, of course, as we had between, you know, so there's not going to be, I mean, we did at least have that opportunity Gilrine through Gilrine and Elrond and what we were doing with those characters last season we at least had the opportunity for real conflict and resolution over the course of the season um, and we're not even going to have real conflict necessarily um, but uh, uh, and, and and I wouldn't want to manufacture it I mean it, it, we because I, I feel like if we tried to manufacture conflict between Arwen and, and Galadriel and Celeborn or something you know like basically it I mean, goodness knows, I don't want to make Arwen look, you know, like petulant or, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to make Arwen look like a teenager, um, not least because she's almost 3,000 years old and that seems a little inappropriate. Um, but uh, anyway, it's, uh, I, 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 I think, I think we, um, so yeah, but I'm okay with that. I mean, again, if, if, if the the conflict essentially is Arwen overcoming her own internal conflict, essentially it's it's like I, I know it doesn't sound like the most gripping thing ever to say like the primary plot thre- you know plot arc of the frame is like Arwen coming to grips with you know her grief over her mom, uh, you know, but. You know, there have been effective stories told about things like that before. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that that's what we're going to have to. Well, and, you know, Maria has made some really good points here, too, in terms of the reveals that we make. You know, I mean, we're talking about this like our viewers are going to automatically know who these three people are. You know, that we could plonk them down at a table and, and the viewers are going to go, oh, I know who that is. That's Galadriel right. and Colborn Arwen. And they're not. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but how do we reveal that? You know, it's like she's saying, you know, we don't want everything, you know, out the first episode. Right. Um, you know, so that's the other thing is, you know, how and then she lists, you know, how do we establish Arwen as Elrond's daughter? You know, how do we show that, that they're her maternal grandparents? Um, her age, you know, the fact that she's unmarried, what's where her mother is and what happened to her. Um you know, and that, and that she's actually not dead, but has actually departed, but is still gone. Right. And then lastly, which I think is actually good, the whole Arwen's choice is the daughter of around half heaven, which that choice has not really been brought up before. So there's, there's a, you know, that's a lot. Yes. And, but I think as Marie says, it's something that we need to figure out how to reveal over the season, not like plunk it all down in the first episode or two. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to think about the beginning. Um, how we open the right. se- this season. Right. Uh, there was a, there was some discussion by several people on the discussion board about starting with like a transition from Rivendell, um, you know, to actually like begin with Arwen departing Rivendell. Um, 
and uh, that's attractive in some ways, uh, uh, you know, because it is, uh, again, as, as, as people were saying on the, on the discussion board, a kind of a passing of the baton from last season's frame, um, you know, so that it brings in some kind of continuity there, which is interesting. My problem with that actually is the lack of continuity because uh, we do have the chronological problem. Arwen has to yeah. move before Estelle gets there. So we right. would have to jump back in time. Um or else it's going to be confusing. I mean, it's going to, it's, it's, and I, 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 I don't like that for that reason. Could we, could we do something like pointing elf and have a messenger arrive, you know, a messenger depart Rivendell to bring a message to Kelborn or to Galadriel and arrives in Lothlorien. I mean, it could be something we, like that. We could, the return of pointing elf. I like that. Um, pointing elf is obviously the best. So this would be writing elf. Films. Actually, this yeah. is writing elf. Writing elf. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Writing elf. Writing yes. elf. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, here's, uh, here's, here's, here's my, well, okay. First of all, I want to address Chris Graham's comment that he just made. Chris, I, that's kind of what I'm thinking too. Uh, Chris says that the frame could be sort of a coming of age story for Arwen. She's been raised her whole life and told she must go back mm-hmm. to the West, but the death of her mother has started her asking questions and opening her mind to the idea that maybe it's not good for the elves to go West. Chris, yeah, I, yeah, I, think that's I agree. I mean, idea. on the one hand, I get, we can't make her like, it's not, this is not exactly an education story in the same way that the last one was with little Estelle, right? Um, <clears throat> nor is this, you know, uh, angsty teenage Arwen working through her issues story because she's not an angsty teenager. But, uh, but Chris, I do think a, a kind of a, a coming of age thing is is I don't think we're going to be able to avoid that. I mean, it's it's this is not like I am like a full mature adult, like uh, you know, kind of just dealing with some issues. I mean, <clears throat> it really is because basically Arwen is still in the process of, and will be until she marries yeah. Aragorn in the process of like deciding what to do with her life, essentially, you know, and what direction and she I wants to go can, with her life. We can see the seeds. We'll yeah, see ahead. the seeds that make, <laughs> how am I going to do this? Is it, uh, so, the fertile ground right. upon which the seed of Aragorn. No, that doesn't work. Anyway, the, in other words, right, yeah. that, that I, I Arwen see where is you're going, already, and I understand your problem. You know what I'm saying? That's right. It's not. It's not the meaning of. It's not the meeting Aragorn that starts her thoughts. This direction yes. is. I think what we're wanting to do. Yes. She's already kind of in a place where the meeting with Aragorn just takes her further. In, well, you know, there. That's that, such, that is such a wonderful point. You know, I mean, if we if we if we hadn't done this frame, you know, if we had just only introduced Arwen uh, in season five when she meets Aragorn, then basically she would be a cipher, just a simply, like, exactly. you know, a minor character in Aragorn's story. And, you know, mm. Aragorn is always going to be a bigger character than she is. I don't think we, you know, we need to, to, to fight that necessarily, no. but, um, she's not taking, she's not taking Glorfindel's place. Not either. Taking Glorfindel's <laughs> place either, exactly. <laughs> but, um, but, 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 but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's it's going to make that whole story, uh, you know, the story of their love affair, so much more powerful if we actually like see her going through her own coming right. of age process first, exactly. you know. And 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 uh, uh, as Chris Graham says, uh, you know, he followed up saying she's you know she's learning to think for herself. Think for herself. Yeah, right. exactly. Or at least so we like, sort of see. You that. know, so I've had a few thousand years of learning, and now I'm starting to you know say, <laughs> you know, it's probably not that far off actually. Right. Exactly. And that's, to, show, you know, to basically because it's. It's one of the things that, you know, Tolkien really insists upon 
but very briefly, right? Because it's not really woven in many ways. You know, the, the story of Aragorn and Arwen isn't really woven deeply into the fabric of the Lord of the Rings. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of stitched on, you know, later, and you can tell. I mean, we are we are told there are several. And I'm talking about like several sentences in The Lord of the Rings, which invite us as readers to contemplate what a huge, huge deal it is that Arwen marries mm-hmm. Aragorn. Um, but we never really, because we don't ever enter into Arwen's point of view, and we, we never really see what a big deal that is. You know, I mean, even you think about that really touching moment in the many partings chapter in The Return of the King, when Arwen and Elrond say goodbye to each other, right? And we again, we're invited to sort of think about this from Elrond's point of view. And, and, uh, and, and you know, it's uh, the parting of Arwen and Elrond is, is presented as a, as a you know, un, a, a very appropriately as a huge, huge deal. But we don't have much context for that. As, you know, again, mm-hmm. if you're just a Lord of the Rings reader, mm-hmm. you don't have much context for that. Um, so, mm-hmm. so yeah, exactly. We can make all of those things much more powerful, and the you know the context of what does it mean when she meets Aragorn? You know, not just for him, not just for the two of them, not just for their, you know, for their relationship, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, in the bigger context, like metaphysically, right. and 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 for you know to Elrond and to, and you know and to Galadriel and to you know and for and how does it interact? You know, so we've got. The choice of Elrond and the choice of, you know, the choice of Galadriel, which is going to be a different choice, you know, and her, you know, uh, getting on the ship at the end. Um, So, I mean, yeah, when everybody it's just think of how much depth the departure on on board, you know, Kyrdan's ship at the the end of the Lord of the Rings is going to be, you know, when we have all this stuff in the background. So anyway, so so Lydia Lydia Putnam brings up a good point. And I think this is really interesting. And it's something that this we also could be doing this season. You know, the question is, what would coming of age look like when you're functionally immortal? Yeah, exactly. Um, And it seems to me perfectly plausible that as an elf, you you know, like sort of in the elf framework, right? You could live for several thousand years without like going through <laughs> like the angsty teenage period. I mean, <laughs> like basically, I think it's uh, when we think about that, I think that we tend to um, to kind or of or your angsty teenage period could last for fifteen hundred years, right? Fifteen hundred years. Oh, oh my the, god, the horror, a... the horror, right? But no, horror. but but, see, but, <laughs> but that's exactly it, right? We tend to think so about they didn't it. have very many kids, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Who would have a big family <laughs> under those circumstances? Um, <laughs> but, but actually, you can see, like you know, Fanor with his seven sons, right? It's probably what drove him over the edge. No, oh, that's right. And, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, no. But the point is, is Sorry. exactly that. We tend to project outward. I mean, we tend to sort of assume the mortal, like we know what growing up is like, right? You know, we, we, we can even say things like angsty teenage period, and we all know what we're talking about, right? Because there's this, you know, there, there's this development, you know, physical and psychological growth and development process, which is, you know, not the same for everybody, obviously, but, but you know, follows a general pattern among us mortals who have, a, who have our, our own, um, you know, uh, uh, lifespan. And there's a tendency when we think about elves living for tens of thousands of years simply to kind of project that outwards. Like, okay, so if the elves live for like 100,000 years, does that mean that they like are, you know... I mean, if you th- like, what do you think about it proportionally? You know, are they fully grown by the time they're eighteen, and then just live another ten thousand years after that, or do they? Are they? You know, 
but basically, I think the problem there is that there's no real comparison. It's just, it's not the same. Yeah. And I come back yeah. here, you know, to me, what I always come back to is uh, the, 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 the Tolkien scene, which to me always speaks loudest about the fundamental difference between the mortal and the, and the you know, the, the human and the, and the elvish point of view, is the scene with Turgon and uh, 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 Huor and Hurin um, in Gondolin when they make you know, when Hurin and Huor make that speech about like we're mortals and we can't wait around like you can right you know that 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 need for action right we've got to go do something now because we're only, we've only got a short amount of time and we need to make the most of it um, that kind of pressure the the sort of the the way that time and the aging process works on humans is just different right i mean they they look at everything in the world differently there's the there's the uh the, you know i mean like there's 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 no such th- i mean not only is there no such thing as a midlife crisis among elves because how are they going to measure the middle of their lives but even you just sort of think about that think about how every stage of the of the human life is based on either like anxiety to get faster into the future, right? Like when you're a kid or a teenager and you want to be considered grown up or like the desire to get back to your youth, right? Because you feel that your life is slipping past you. And you, I mean, all of those things, totally irrelevant. And so much of that stuff is, I mean, it's just so much of the, of the, like the fundamental, you know, basis of, of human psychological development. And it's just, so it's, it's not parallel. It's not proportional. It's just totally different. So anyway, yeah. So, so treat, how do we show that? Good heavens. Exactly. And I I don't think we do. And I don't think we can exactly, but Mm -hmm. this is why I think we needn't be concerned to be like, well, she's 2000 years old. So wouldn't she have worked this stuff out already? No, she wouldn't necessarily have worked this stuff out already. Right. Um, I mean right. the the whole perspective. Anyway, so um, I mean, and, I mean, and like Marie points out, Marie has point, pointed out that yeah. you know in Lord of the Rings we see Legolas not having contemplated the sea longing. He encounters sea longing for the first time in Lord of the Rings. And yes, he's, he's in spring chicken at yes. that point. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, there's, there's so, so there is change. Like they can encounter new things, and they can begin sort of thinking about things differently. But yeah, you think about Legolas's contentment in the woods, right? And and how he's no longer content there after seeing the right. sea. And right. uh, and yeah, that's so. Like, so what was he doing for his previous thousands of years? You know, like what was his <laughs> what was his attitude then? Um, I mean, it's just those kinds of changes happen, but it's not a like now I'm older and wiser and now I perceive things that in my foolish youth, you know, as if elves were just slow. Right. Like it takes them a thousand years to to psychologically come to the place where humans come in, you know, 20. Right. That, that, I mean, that's just silly. Um, it's but again, it's just somehow different. Right. And again, even even her mom, I mean, Calabrian, uh, Calabrian is kidnapped and tortured at this at the time almost at exactly the same time that Errol the Young fights the battle of Celebrant okay so we're talking 500 it's been 500 wow. years since Celebrian wow. went into the west that really puts some 
perspective in there. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was jumping. I was, I was reviewing to make sure I was remembering correctly the dates and the tale of years uh, before the session today. And that's the thing that jumped out at me. It's the next entry in the tale of years: is Errol the young rides out of the north after Calabrian uh, goes away. So, um, so yeah, I mean that's that's happening at the same time, um, and it does give you some perspective, right? Like the entire history of the Rohirrim in, in Rohan uh, has happened since. Uh, so, so this is not like a recent grief in human terms for Arwen, right? I mean, this is her. This happened to her mom five hundred years ago, and she was over two thousand at the time. So it's not like, you know, this is like a traumatic memory of her childhood or something like that, right? So, um, so you know, we've got we get um, we get none of those things. Um, but anyway, I, I, um, that's that's okay. Um, uh, I think that that's uh, we just have to again we just have to sort of embrace this you know and and to be unashamed of of this and and I, I think it's okay for this to be kind of coming to a head now if anything I actually like the idea that this sort of trouble has been growing in in Arwen's mind and I here's here's my here's my you know again exactly how and when we reveal all this stuff in the frame, I'm not sure. But here's my idea of, of sort of Arwen's backstory here. It's been 500 years. So if she's having a kind of a, a you know, personal crisis about this now, why now? Right. You know, why now and not 200 years ago or 300 years ago? Why, why now? And I'm thinking why now is the growth of the shadow. Like there's you can see like things are getting darker and the shadow is growing and she's so this is leading her to think more about and because and, and basically many of the elves are responding to the growth of the shadow by saying, well, uh, time for us to leave. Right. Uh, you know, things are getting a little darker in Middle Earth. So uh, uh, off we go. Right. And that's troubling her. So if 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 we need to find a precipitating event. Right. What is it that at this point, 500 years after her mother departed, why is she now having a crisis about her mother departing? I would say it would be the departure of somebody else, basically, like other elves in Rivendell uh, deciding that they're going to go, you know, they're going to go to the Havens and take off because things are looking bad. Um, And that's what has sort of, you know, and and because she's been, you know, she's been troubled about the departure of her mother the whole time, but that that's what has really kind of brought it to a head. And so her, so the, the, the sort of the thing, the immediate question in Arwen's mind is what is the proper response to the shadow in middle earth? Should we be staying and fighting? Should we, should we be going all Gilgalad on this, right? And seeking to unite ourselves with the other free peoples and to help and to, 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 to save middle earth, or should we be departing it? Uh, because this isn't our real place anyway. Um, and we should be, you know, we should sort of take this as a sign that it's time for us to return to our real home. Um, and so that so that that can be something that's sort of coming to a crisis. Maybe we can kind of make up, uh, uh, make up a, a, ooh, hey, how about this? How about <laughs> we have somebody... And this is kind of tricky, right? We kind of almost have to make this up. Well, I mean, we do have to make this up, uh, this event. What if there's somebody in Rivendell that she was close to? Somebody who is like a mentor figure for her in Rivendell who left just recently, who just recently decided to leave. 
And she was really troubled at her mentor's decision to leave Middle-earth and go across the sea. And that's what led to her being really troubled. And so Elrond, in response, basically says, why don't you go spend some time with Grandma? All right, go visit Grandma and Grampy (laughs) down in in, in Lothlorien. And... uh, (laughs) Grandma and Grampy! I'm... I, I, I'm really tempted to, like, at some point have somebody actually, like, refer to Galadriel as grandma because uh, it's awesome. But there's nobody there's nobody who could really deliver that line. Like, you'd need Bilbo for that, right? And we, 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 yeah, we don't even would. have Bilbo yet. Um, yeah. I mean, none of the elves would ever do it. But anyhow, okay. So, so but, but here's the cool thing that I just thought of. What if the mentor figure who chose to go away is a character from season two one of the old elves who's still there what if it's a person that we actually meet and get to know who who has been hanging out uh uh with i don't know who so i haven't thought of that yet but it would have to be somebody in rivendell um and uh so i'm not really sure but um one of the things, this is sort of on a tangent, but Hakan and Marie both at the same time in terms of opening and making a connection to Rivendell and from Rivendell to Lothlorien, it is twins. One right. or both twins could go visit their sister. Right, that's true. Now, somehow that could be woven in with the story you just theorized. And yes. I'm not sure how, but... You know. Yeah. I mean, it could be like they arrive and she says, has he gone? Has he really gone? Yes, he's gone. Right. You know, and then that sort of, I don't know, something like that. Right. Right. We could always invent a, we could always invent a, because I mean, there aren't that many female elf characters. Uh, you know, there's, there's they're the strong minority of female elf characters <laughs> uh, in Tolkien. So it would be cool to have like a, a female mentor of Arwen be the one who made the choice yeah. to go away. And we kind of almost have to invent her. Um, but, uh, um, but that's okay. Um, you know, it could be, um, um, it could be, it could be somebody. I don't know who yet. Um, it, it, <laughs> it could be somebody. It could be somebody. <laughs> it could be somebody. Like, for instance, a lot of the, you know, the primary elves that we meet in the Silmarillion presumably had wives. Um, and, uh, and some of the, those wives, uh, uh, or, or, girlfriends like in Finrod's case um, (laughs) unrequited (laughs) beloveds um, uh, you know are we're told what happened to them like we know Targon had a wife and she died in the Helcaraxa and we know that Finrod had a you know had a beloved who didn't come with him into the into the you know back to Middle-earth you know there are a few sort of acknowledgments of like what the women folk were up to and what happened to them but there are many cases in which that's not the case, right? So, um, but some of them are going to need to have wives. Um, uh, Hakan says Elmo's wife. Okay, let's make one thing perfectly clear right now. It is 100% (laughs) and in all ways utterly impossible for us to use the name Elmo for an elf. That is not happening. I know, I know. Tolkien had an elf named Elmo. That's 
not happening. Okay. <laughs> I, I just, we absolutely can. And I apologize. And especially for those of you who grew up outside of the American culture and who may not understand the urgency that I feel about not having an elf character named Elmo, but everyone who grew up, especially in my generation or the subsequent generation will know perfectly well why we cannot have an elf <laughs> character named <laughs> Elmo, and you're right. Uh, you're right, Marie. We also cannot have an elf named Teleporno uh, for a different reason. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, no, 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 Hakan. We're not killing Elmo. He's not happening. We're not using the name. The name Elmo shall never be uttered in this, at any point in the film film production. Like that, just it just can't happen. I'm sorry. It absolutely can't happen. I wish it could, and it's it's, but it absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's that that's a lock. Anyway. Um, OK, um, so we can come back to that. I, I, the, that is the identity. If we do the Arwen's mentor thing, like what her identity would be, maybe uh, somebody will jump out over the course of our discussions in the season that we decide we want to pull back into the frame and make Arwen's mentor. That'd be really cool. Um, I think that one of the ways that we can vary um, one of the things that we can do to sort of uh, it, it's the lack of variability of the frame that I think has the uh, psychological drama can be interesting enough. It's not that I think we need to add action sequences to the frame. Um, one of the problems is just that it's uh, of its being too um, uh, too 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 same. You know, too 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 much of the same thing all the time. The same two or three people walking around in the same setting talking right. uh, is going to be boring. One of the things I think that we can manage is I'd like to have flashbacks. So have a, um, and this is where we, we can also be doing like thinking about the 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 reveals, um, Trish, that you were referring to before. Um, mm-hmm, where we mm-hmm. can be revealing stuff through flashbacks uh, in part. So we have a flashback to, uh, so like we can show the scene where Elrond and Arwen are, are you know, are talking and, and Elrond, you know, tells her to go and, um, and go stay with grandma and Grampy for a while. We can have, we, we can do that in flashback at some point, but it doesn't have to be at the beginning. It can be later on. Um, we can have a flashback to, uh, you know, actual scenes with her and her mentor. I think that would be that would come even cooler if, uh, if that were done in a place which was sort of depending on who the mentor is and uh, if uh, we have that you know when that person gets introduced in the in the second in the you know in season two. Um, uh, <laughs> Marie says, "Hey, maybe the mentor could be Celeborn's now newly nameless grandfather, uh, who who was Elmo." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe um again i would kind of like to, i would kind of like to make her to, to make uh to make this figure female because you know we can uh you know i'm i'm uh I, I, you know th- that seems like a a fine opportunity uh, maglor's wife <laughs> oh man uh, that would be re- oh that would be very interesting see the thing is though the the significance of that wouldn't really hit you uh, right away. Like, we wouldn't really get to the full import of like why Maglor's wife is significant um, in season two. Like it wouldn't really strike home how significant Maglor's wife was until like season 10 or something. Um, but 
Celebrimbor's wife. Hakan, that's interesting. But see, again, Celebrimbor is going to be a character who's not... I mean, he, he, he could have a cameo at some point, but probably not even that yet. Um, we're not going to really get to Celebrimbor's story. Um, I mean, he's his, the first thing Celebrimbor ever does to distinguish himself from the from the extras is going to be in Nargothrond when he, when he leaves his dad. Right. Um, but, um, anyway, yeah. Um, yes. Okay. So Brianna's suggesting, Brianna, was it you who suggesting this before? Yeah. Uh, uh, Fingolfin's sister. Fingolfin's <laughs> sister went to Beleriand, but we never hear if she dies or returns to the West after the war of wrath. That's interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. All right. That That is interesting. Um, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's think about that. Let's think about that. But anyway, okay, okay. Um, uh, so... So we don't have to tell that story, but but so I'm I'm trying to flesh out Arwen's backstory here, right? Okay, so this is why she's having this crisis now and not 500 years ago, um, as she's really kind of thinking. And this is going to be leading the you know this sort of crisis is going to be leading her not to the choice, but to the but to the place where she's sort of prepared to make the choice. And my thought of where we take Arwen, like what her arc, where her arc goes by the end of the season, is she's basically. She's choosing Middle-earth. She's ready to choose Middle-earth, but she doesn't yet really understand what that means or the significance of that. And frankly, I, I mean, this is what I hear um, from Appendix A. If you remember the conversation between Arwen and Aragorn that were given, you know, the, the what is clearly a fragment of a conversation between Arwen and Aragorn when they meet and fall in love, um, you know, in the Tenuviel Tenuviel moment, um, uh, that's the the marvelous exchange where, you know, he says, Tenuviel, Tenuviel. And she's like, why did you call me that? And she was like, because I was just like thinking about Luthien and I thought you were her. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and Arwen says, yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> absolutely my favorite Arwen moment in The Lord of the Rings. Uh, um, but, uh, but anyway, then, so she says, and... Arwen throws out, like, almost immediately. You know, she's like, um, you know, my name is not hers, but perhaps my destiny will not be unlike hers, right? It's like, she's already thinking about it, right? I mean, you know, she's just met yeah. this guy. <laughs> yeah, know? that's what which, 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 hopefully we can, you know, in other words, she's been thinking about it, not relative to him. Exactly. I mean, the way it sounds like Tolkien is like in the moment, but we can actually show that it's been something that's been on our mind, kind of. Right, exactly. And it can be one of the reasons why uh, why Elrond is kind of troubled about this, you know, and why he insists on the delay, you know, in that kind of, Because, like, it's one of the things that I would like to do when we get there in Season 5, is not only the conversation between Elrond and Aragorn, uh, you know, where he's like, you know, uh, hey, okay, I love you as a son, but uh, no one where, you know, I'm not giving my daughter to anybody unless he's, you know, wielding the scepter and the crown, you know, so uh, don't get any funny ideas, uh, kid. Right. That There's that conversation, of course. But then later on, but I would also then like to have the parallel conversation between him and Arwen. Right. Which, of course, Tolkien does not give us uh, in Appendix A because the a story in Appendix A is understandably 
Aragorn eccentric, right? Because it's like a Gondorian story, right? Uh, but anyway, so the conversation between uh, Elrond and Arwen, I would think, would be like, uh, don't you think you're kind of rushing into this? Like that he knows, he, he would know that she, her about her convictions about Middle-earth, right? And her, her and basically him being like, I don't think you are really getting what this means, right? I think that, uh, um, so basically, at, at, by the end of the season, I would like to see Arwen basically deciding, no, like, you know, Staying and helping in Middle-earth, like being, you know, fighting the good fight in Middle-earth. That's what we really should be doing. That's what we should have been doing all along. She can be the one who's saying, like, the invitation was a mistake. The Valar screwed that up. You know, that stuff can come from come from Arwen and is like perfectly true and and uh, and and a totally valid perspective. And yet um, uh, and yet she doesn't really she hasn't fully thought it through. Right. She doesn't totally get it yet. Um. So, anyway, I think that that's uh, um, all right. So I, I, I'm thinking through her her trajectory here, but I've spent a heck of a long time talking about this, and I haven't even really oh, said how we're going to begin. Oh. Here, here's my thought. I said I don't want to start in Rivendell because I don't want to jump backwards in chronology. Because if we're the continuity with the last season is to me actually the problem. If we go back to Rivendell at the beginning of season two, people are going to be looking around for Gilrine and young Estelle, right? So, you mm-hmm. know, to, and to do something like, uh, you know, subtitles at the bottom of the screen saying, uh, like, 20 years before the end of last season, this happened. Like, I, I, I don't want to go. It's just going to be confusing. Um, here's, what I, here, here's the other possibility. Um, and uh, Brianna had suggested this a little bit uh, earlier as well. And that is, what about, um, what about actually starting with the, uh, with the, the attack on Calabrian? What if we start with Calabrian's kidnapping? So here, here's here's the scene as I'm picturing it. Here's the scene as I'm picturing it. We show that it's a flashback, right? Um, the scene opens with Arwen on Karen Amroth, right? And so she's standing on the top of Karen Amroth, and she's looking out across Lothlorien, and she looks over to, Gold, to Dol Guldur. And so she can see the darkness and the shadow. Sauron isn't there, but it's still a dark place. Um, in Dol Guldur, and we just sort of see her staring over at the shadow, and then she has the flashback. So, so she has the flashback, and we, and we, because see, this is what I'm, this is what I'm liking. And Hakan, I know we are starting with an orc attack again, exactly. We're, and, and, but in my mind, Hakan, this is almost actually like the kind of continuity, right? Gilrine and Arwen then become parallel characters, as both of them are remembering, you know, a past grief of what has happened to them because the stories in this sense are a little bit similar, right? Arwen herself was not in danger, but, uh, um, but yet we have like two female characters who have this sort of grief in their past, uh, you know, caused by, caused by an orc attack. Um, uh, though, of course, as Chris Graham points out, it's not like orc attacks are exactly unusual as sources of grief uh, to people in Middle-earth. So it's not like that's implausible. Um, and both of them are like now in a place of refuge and both of them are in different ways having a hard time with it. Right. We see both of them, both Gilrein and Arwen, uh, experiencing something like impatience, but de- but very different. Right. Um, Gilrein's is a much more mortal Impatience, whereas Arwen's is a, a much more kind of larger metaphysical issue. But 
anyhow, okay. So, uh, so, uh, where was I? All right. Um, uh, so the, 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 the taking of Calabrian, because I, I think we need to establish that. Trish, as you were saying before, we can't assume our you know viewers know any of right. these characters or any of this stuff. So I think right. it's going to be if if in fact um, the suffering and departure of um, of Calabrian is going to be the the primary you know thing that is the is the mover behind the all of the psychological action and development of the frame of season two we need to establish that at the beginning right um and here's the other bonus it establishes a parallel i'm thinking we actually have a visual parallel between calabrian and the ambush on her uh and elves who vanish by quivianen who are taken at quivianen um, and that fear of like the darkness and uh, you know shadows coming out of the darkness and just you know when you are going about your peaceful benign immortal way wandering through the woods that the shadow can reach out and and take you uh, and take you away prisoner because um, even the parallel of like being dragged off and tortured um, it works right with Calabrian and with the elves that are taken from Quivian and, uh, and subjected Whoa, to whatever happens there's, to them. Yeah. There's a great parallel there, isn't there? Yeah. So it, Am I anticipates, like party? <laughs> it anticipates, it anticipates yes. the fear of the elves in Quivian and, and establishes right. this, this, this atmosphere of even though things look peaceful and bucolic and everything looks lovely, like the shadow's always out there and uh, uh, and you never know when it's gonna when it's gonna you know jump out of the jump out from behind a tree and take you. Um, so um, so anyway, that, so that's that, that's why I was also really attracted that that parallel with the uh, actual storyline of episode one, which we're totally gonna get to talking about today. Um, th- <laughs> that that's the thing that is to me most attractive of uh, of of starting with that. Um, Oh, interesting. Hakan is, is wondering if Arwen could have the flashback in the Redhorn Pass while she's coming, because that's, of course, where it happens. So, like, she would be on her journey to Lothlorien, passing through the place where it happened. Well, we still have the continuity issue, though, don't we? Yes, yes. Um, I, I, I think we just want to put her in Lothlorien. Um, because, again, yeah, for that reason, Trish... Um, so that we're not winding the clock the clock back. I think it would be ideal right. if the fr- our frame narratives season by season do make one continuous chronological sequence. Like you could watch all the frames in order, right? And it would make one continuous story. Um, even though right. there, there, there will be jumps forward, but not jumps backward. I think that that would be... Right. I think that would be best. Right. Okay. Um, uh, besides, I do think that Lothlorien as like the frame setting of the entire frame is good, um, even though it would be boring if nobody if if we're just wandering around underneath the same trees the whole time. Um, OK. All right. So maybe actually we don't go much further than that. Maybe we don't even maybe we don't even introduce Go uh, Goadriel and Kelborn in the frame of episode one. Maybe it's just Arwen herself. Um, uh, and. Uh, um, you know, we can see, we can just we can just use the frame to establish that basic sequence. So we have Calabrian's 
uh, kidnapping. Um, we can have we can show Calabrian being rescued. You know, maybe so. You know, maybe we can. You know, then have another. You know, uh, it 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 jumps. You know, her flashback then jumps forward to Eladon and Elro here. You know, uh, uh, carrying you know their mother. You know, out from the orc. Uh, you know, splattered in orc blood, basically, um, which would you know this would be fairly horrifying, right? And then we can have we can then jump forward to a scene of uh, Arwen and Calabrian at Calabrian's departure, right? And her 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 decision to leave. Um, that's plenty, I think, for the frame of episode one. We don't even need Galadriel and Celeborn right away. That's true. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I know we've spent a lot of time. We don't have much time left to talk about the actual substance of episode one, but it's, it's okay. This is important. I mean, I, this wrapping our brain around the frame uh, and really mm-hmm. sort of thinking through what it's going to be is, uh, is, is good. This is going to pay dividends later on. So, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. So let's talk about the actual story about the, the awakening at Quivienne and, um, couple things that I want to a couple things I want to say about that um, I think I think we have to join the elves to some extent in Medius' race I think we can't do the actual awakening like elves like yawning and stretching on the shores of, of, of Quivienen um, and there are a couple reasons for this one is that they would presumably be naked and this brings us to a this brings us to a nudity issue <laughs> but more than that i mean it's just it would be weird i mean i think actually depicting that on screen like naked elves stretching and looking around and chatting um like either making you know making them look like a nudist colony or something it would just be strange and i, I don't think we need that strangeness what's more a lot of tolkien stories um when Christopher Tolkien says, as he often does, when Christopher Tolkien says that he thinks that his father's writings are particularly ill-suited to screen adaptation, uh, a lot of people tend to just kind of roll their eyes. Um, when Christopher Tolkien says that, they're like, oh, Christopher, Chris, he's such a snob, right? And he's such, you know, he's, he's such a stick in the mud and doesn't want to, you know, hates the movies and blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, but there are, there are some ways in which Christopher Tolkien is quite right. One of the things that Tolkien does very well is mythic suggestiveness, right? It is one thing to say. Um, when you say in a story, then the elves awoke by the shores of Quivienen, there is a mythic power to that sentence, to that concept, um, which is really moving and really stirring. It has that kind of mythic power. And there are many things which, if you take that kind of a mythic concept and you try to depict it as a blow-by-blow, you know, second-by-second event, it loses its mythic power and could even just look silly or even, frankly, banal if it happens. So far from capturing the mythic power of the scene, you totally undermine it if you just depict it even exactly as it was as it was depicted. And to me, the, the awakening of the elves is in that category. I don't see any way that we can do this. It isn't going to look hokey or comical or just dumb. I, I, I don't think we can do it. 
I think we have to join the elves after they've, they've been around. Not to mention the fact we also have a passage of time thing. Um, we're going to need... Gen- like. Notice we're we're jumping in already when we were talking about the cast and stuff. We're jumping in already and talking about people being like brothers and related to each other and stuff like that. Um, uh, that's how, like, in what sense are two elves that wake up by the shores of Quivienne brothers or sisters or cousins or in the same family with each other, right? Like family normally, you know, that, that, that normally presupposes reproduction <laughs> right so and we haven't gotten to that yet presumably um which means i mean again i i it seems to me like the elves are at the shores of quivianan for quite a while so we have a time passing issue here as well and like that that generations will have happened elves will have been born um and uh, you know sort of families and clans will have been established at quivianan so i i think we i think we have to we have to jump in i mean i think we have to have elf culture pretty much established um like established to the point where we want it for the great debate basically um Mm -hmm. by the time we you know when we when we come there i I don't i don't don't think we try to do a a sort of a a a, a close-up of that there um so yeah 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 so So how do we draw up the curtain on this? I mean, I do think that we need to... Uh, now, somebody remind me, what decision did we make last year? Do we have... Did Orame show up? Because we had a scene in episode 13 of season one when Orame comes back and is like, uh, I, I found him! I found him! I found the elves, right? That happened? That totally occurred, didn't it? Yeah, because yeah. I think okay. we talked about the fact that we'd have to flash back. Right, exactly. Uh, okay, you know. all right. All right, all right. All right. So, so that's fine. So... <laughs> I was just making sure that I was remembering that properly. Um, okay, so the so we are with the inside the frame, you know, in our in our first stage story, we are stepping backwards some, but that's okay because it's not continuous. We're gonna be we're gonna be following the point of view of the elves from the beginning. Um, so we're gonna get the battle, but the battle shouldn't be until I guess the end. Yes, it should be at the end of this episode. Um, or maybe even the beginning of the second episode, actually. Um, but, but anyway, okay. I'm not sure how to draw the curtain up on the elves, um, here at the, at the beginning. Um, I kind of like the idea, uh, uh, Marie was just suggesting we can show an elf waking up, like, you know, to, to sort of suggest that idea, right? So we actually just have them have like show an elf asleep, right? Um, not like again not not the first awakening um but to start like basically at dawn it has to start at dawn right we have to have like sunrise at the beginning of of uh, of of or not sunrise did i say sunrise how are we gonna, i was going to say sunrise tongue. not sunrise not literally sunrise um but <laughs> but we have like a beginning of the day sort of at the lightning of the right? day you know yeah. yeah we have the we have the i know there's no sun i know i know chris that's why i was saying i, I just spoke there. <laughs> Um, no, he was testing you. He was just testing testing you. you. Exactly. No, (laughs) what I mean is we we need to have a, a, you know, a, 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 you know, this needs to feel like a new beginning, right? Because it's what we're trying to capture. Right. Um, uh, so, um, anyway, so, so starting with, uh, with, uh, with elves asleep and waking up, 
uh, is kind of appealing, actually, uh, you know, for that reason, um, to, to sort of evoke that mythic concept without actually attempting to depict it, I think is really probably the best we would be able to do for that. Um, so, okay. So we do that. Um, we need to start with the, okay, actually, let me, let me pull back one second. We need to decide on the cast of characters. Um, and let me, let me, let me say one thing generally too. In the discussion boards, uh, several of you have been bringing in and wanting to bring in, uh, lots of characters from Tolkien's late writings. So let, let me sort of explain how this works. Um, after the publication of the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien spent a good deal of time going back and kind of reworking a bunch of the Silmarillion stuff and thinking through a lot of those things again. And he did fill in a lot more detail. Like we get a lot more sort of new characters and him thinking through exactly how things worked at Quivienen and, um, and, uh, you know, he introduces some other Elvish characters and things like that. Um, so he, we get that in Tolkien's later writing. Let me make a confession. This is a, this is a, this is a, this is a confession. Ooh, we need some sound, some music. Here's my confession. I don't, <laughs> like a lot of Tolkien's later thoughts. I really don't. Um, I, 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 I don't dislike all of them. I, I'm not, and I try not to get just biased against them, but in my own mind, when I think about the, sort of the development of Tolkien's ideas, like his Silmarillion ideas and stuff, I really kind of break it down into three periods. There's the early period, which is like the Book of Lost Tales and the Ways of Beleriand period. There's like the middle period, which is like from the time of the writing of The Hobbit and like the 1930 Quenta uh, up through like the Lord of the Rings period. So like basically like the 30s, 40s and 50s. Uh, up to like the mid fifties or so. And then there's that later period that like Tolkien in retirement post Lord of the Rings period where he's doing a bunch of kind of diddling around with Silmarillions. And I say diddling around and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but he was not doing like big, like rewritings. He was like fiddling with a bunch of details and things, which is what he liked to do. And that's cool. And that's fun. Um, but, uh, a lot of the things that he wrote in that later period, like of of those three periods, um, definitely like I I I like his middle period best, his early period second, and his later period third of the three. Um, uh, there are there are a bunch of things that he wrote in his later years that I actively dislike. Um, that I would frankly argue with him about. Uh, for instance, um, in uh, I th- I'm pr- it's, yeah in Morgoth's Ring. He writes about how he's going to ditch the whole world made round thing um, and the and the making of the sun and moon. Um, he was going to go back and be like, well, no, obviously the sun and moon have to be there from the beginning and the world has to be round from the beginning. And so we got to go back and change everything. And I would just like, you know, if he were alive or if I had been alive and, you know, sitting in his study with him, then I'd have fought with him tooth and, tooth and nail about that. Um <laughs> Not just because I think it's an inferior idea. I say this not as like like one who is sort of merely like impassionately sitting in judgment. Like I think that those are those are A ideas, but those other ideas are merely B plus ideas. I'm not saying that. It doesn't hold together as well. I mean, I, I feel like he kind of goes off the off his own track in some ways. That there are some inconsistencies 
like his the way that he thinks about this stuff kind of changes in his later years um and and a lot of those changes i don't like um at least i certainly don't prefer them so i am uh so for those of you who know the whole history of middle earth series uh i am not in any way making the assumption i am actually i am i am not making the assumption that all the stuff that he added in his later years we're going to incorporate a bunch of that I want to, I actively want to jettison because I don't think it holds together well with his other stuff. And I think that Christopher was right to leave it out of the published Silmarillion uh, and not to go there. Um, so, and so just, just to, just to kind of lay bare my own, my own kind of uh, 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 sort of uh, biases and thoughts about, about this stuff. This is one of the reasons why I have not, like you'll notice I've brought up, you know, our, our discussion is focused mostly on the published Silmarillion and kind of the sort of the mainstream stuff. Um, but you'll notice that I've brought up the Book of Lost Tales and the earlier materials about 10 times more often than I've brought up the later materials. Uh, that's why. Just because I think they're better. I, I think they work better. Um, I, I Anyway, so, so I'm not at all uh, focused on trying to integrate uh, all the stuff that Tolkien used later on. However... Um, there's a lot of it which is really cool and really useful, and I think that there's no reason that we can't bring, you know, like, if we want to bring in a character, like, you know, if we feel like we need another character, um, using that later material as sort of, you know, raw material that we can use to bring in and, and, and develop more stuff is, uh, makes sense, rather than going all, you know, Toriel on the story. Uh, you know, like this, it, it, you know, I, I get, it's not that I, of course, I mean, as those of you who know, who listened for three years to riddles in the dark, I don't hate Toriel. I actually quite like the Toriel character. And I think the invention of her was fine, but basically we have more resources than they had in the Hobbit film. Um, and if we need a new character, or even if we need a new female character, like Arwen's mentor, we will have resources to draw from. We don't just have to make something up completely. Um, uh, necessarily. So, so anyway, so that said, um, uh, no, Robert, I am looking forward to the Morgoth Spring Academy class actually. And it will be interesting. It will be really, I, I mean, I, I am actually really looking forward to going through the, the latter, um, history of middle earth books, uh, in the Academy class. Um, uh, that is assuming the electorate continues to vote them in. Of course, I don't want to presuppose that but um but assuming that happens i i i do really look forward to uh to doing those um because i think it, it's it's especially and to me it's not like i don't i don't feel like it loses anything because to me it really only serves to sort of emphasize i mean i i appreciate the beauty of the myth of the sun and moon more um and i have have appreciated appreciated it more ever since I first read the, <laughs> the place where Tolkien was saying he wanted to jettison it. It was my reaction against that that led me to sort of first appreciate how, you know, how much and why I love the, the earlier myth. Um, so it's all good. It's all good. But anyway, okay. So that is to say, cast lists which like like our kind of completionist, like include whole bunches of Avar named Avari and other characters like that, which Tolkien only brought in later on. I don't really, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that we need to include them all. In fact, I'd rather be quite utilitarian about this. Goodness knows we already have a large enough cast for our elves, 
right? And I would be interested in actually compressing rather than expanding if we had to. We need to make sure that people can keep track of folks um, and people can really connect with these characters in, in some way um, and have some and, and, you know, maintain some idea of what's going on. So I would like, if possible, to sort of minimize the number of characters um, that we have. Like, for instance, I don't think we need to have that many Avari like outspoken Avari, um, whose characters we know, we need a couple, right? Because we need some people to speak at the, uh, to, to, to speak at the, at the, the debate, but we don't need lots. I don't think, um, anyway. Okay. So just a, that's just a side, side note and confession. Um, uh, and you would say that I'm not doing very well for time. But on the other hand, I don't have to go pick up my children this morning. So I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And Griff Life, you know, is now starting later. Griff is starting so that's good. Too. So there we are. Yeah, I've got, I've, I've got, we've got world. So you got stuff. 20 minutes before Griff Life, you know, um, yeah. right? Am I right? Oh, no, we've got an hour and 20 minutes before Griff Life. We're good. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. We're good. We're good. Um, okay. All right. All right. So thinking of the main plot then. The main, the, 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 obviously the two, the two primary things that need to happen in episode one are the, the, the fear of the elves for the hunter, right? The dark hunter, the dark rider or the hunter and the arrival of Orome and sort of the, you know, the, the parallels between those two, between those two things and their reactions to Orome. And what I'm, what I'm, what I'm kind of thinking of here is, um, I couldn't help thinking when contemplating the arrival of Orame and the contrast, I kind of thinking about fear. And, and, and in my mind, the story here is kind of a contemplation of something which, um, I think we can see in Tolkien, see us as, as usual, uh, when Tolkien and Lewis were both interested in something, they're both interested in it, but Lewis talks about it more. Lewis is just, that's what's, what's what he does. He's a talky teacher guy and Tolkien is not. Um, but what I'm thinking of is basically the concept of, 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 of fear, like, and the difference between, cause I, cause we've got, the elves are going to be scared, right? But there's more than this. When, when the dark hunter is stalking the woods and some of their number begin to vanish, and this becomes a kind of crisis at Quivienen, uh, and they're going to be afraid, right? They're going to experience fear. When Orome shows up and they are confronted for the first time by one of the gods in his splendor, they are also going to be afraid, but it's going to be a different kind of fear. Um, and again, C.S. Lewis talks about this much more, the difference between, you know, uh, between what we normally call fear, or, you know, being scared, and awe, you know, the sort of the, the, the numinous fear. Tolkien is very good at depicting the numinous. Uh, Lewis was very good at talking about the numinous and occasionally captured it well in some of his fiction. Um, but uh, um, <laughs> Chris Graham suggests Crisis at Quivienen uh, as the episode title. <laughs> that would be particularly, uh, you know, Chris, using the word crisis in the title would be particularly ironic. Uh, in, uh, you know, like the first episode of, of, uh, of this, you know, wh- where we've been talking about, like, our problem is that nothing really happens, right? Um, but <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, so 
the fact that they're scared of Orame, because like basically, I think it would be a really neat opportunity to sort of try to capture, to try to to try to capture that on screen. What Tolkien does capture, and what Lewis captures and talks about, the difference between the one kind of fear, like the you know the 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 fear of the Valar and the fear of Iluvatar, and the and just the terror, uh, you know, physical fear. Um, because of course the one is mistaken for the other sometimes, and some will mistakenly feel the wrong kind of fear for Orame, right? Thinking that he's just going to capture them and take them off. There will be there will be some dark looks among them, right? Especially among those you know whose like family members have been kidnapped. Uh, when this rider comes in and says, this t- quite terrifying rider comes in and says. I want you to come back to my home with me. And they're like, uh, yeah, that's what the other writer said, except he was, you know, less pretty. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but that sort of decision, that's that, that sort of acknowledgement, you know, how do they know? How do they know that this isn't just a different ploy of the dark rider who has been kidnapping them? Right. Cause that's what it's going to look like to, to many of them. Right. Okay. Oh, now he's coming with a kind and friendly face. Remember, they don't know anything. They don't know anything. They don't know who the Valar are. They don't know who Melkor is. They don't know anything. Um, their world, um, and I think you know, the, their world should be very elf centric. Like they, they um, remember they name themselves the Quindi, people who speak with voices. That is, they think they're the only people who can talk. They, they, as far as they know, the whole world is is just them and the animals. That's all they know. Um. So. Um. Um. Uh. So okay, so 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 they 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 have no idea that any, so the 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 fact that something is out there kidnapping their people is their first introduction to there is something else out there other than beasts, right? Other than animals and us. So when Orame shows up, they have no other the only other capital O category they have is the the dark rider, is the the hunter. And oh, he's a hunter. Right. Remember, that was on purpose. Um, You know, in the Silmarillion, we're told that was Morgoth's plan that he uh, he 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 had uh, he was anticipating that Orome would be the one to find them. So he wanted to put them off Orome. Um, And that's why uh, the the uh, the only things that appeared to them were in the form of in the form of uh, of of hunters. Um, Yeah. So, okay. Um, Chris Graham wants a play on, uh, on, uh, the Frodo's line. I, I think an enemy would look fairer and feel fouler. Um, <laughs> that's, it, it is a similar thing. I mean, that is going to be the, the sort of the point, Chris, right? The Orme is going to be fair enough to look at, I would suppose. Um, but, um, but yeah, like that question of like, is he going to feel fair or foul, right? What is there going to be their reaction? Cause he's going to be terrifying, um, he should look huge and intimidating. Um, I think he should be big um, when he comes. Not like gigantic, like they shouldn't come up to his knees, but I think he should tower over them. He should be an imposing figure um, uh, when he when he comes in um, so that he is scary as well as being awful in the, you know, awesome in the in the in the classic sense of that of of those words. Um inspiring both fear and awe and them having to sort of distinguish, you know, uh, distinguish between those things. Um, 
thoughts? What are you thinking about this stuff, Trish? I'm right with you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think we join the action, such as it is at Quivian, and um, yeah. basically right when the, people start getting abducted. Basically, I mean, I think that needs to be the. Um, I don't know how far. Uh, like, do we do we start on the discussion boards? People were talking about distinguishing among the different elf cultures and things. You know, making the 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 the. Uh, the distinctions between the Vanyar, the Noldor, and the uh, and the Teleri uh, groups already sort of visible. I think we can have them visible, but I don't think we want to make a big point of that. I don't think we, we I think we want to make more. them fairly subtle but discernible. Yeah, Does that yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah. So that when when sort of debates like basically when people start splitting it because we have peace and harmony, everybody's everybody's happy with each other, right? Everybody's in harmony at Quivian and in in you know the 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 episode three when we get conflict and debate should should sort of come as a shock. Um so but but yeah having different sort of settlements and having some some kind of uh you know physical distinctions among them um you know it's it's totally fine to have like a a you know the the largely fair-haired you know elves to get you know a bunch of largely fair-haired elves together you know a bunch of like uh you know uh tall dark-haired elves together and you know so we can sort of see them um but we so we should we should certainly have them mingling with each other and uh and all in uh, you know sort of living in harmony uh, even if they might have actually different camps or settlements mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. on Quivianen and its island um do we want them to look different or we did we already talk about that we talked remember. about that some i mean i think we we, we are going to want to have some differences but maybe not radical differences um, i think we talk, yeah that's right we talked about that what's going to really happen is especially with the noldor is it's the costuming that's really going yes, to yes. change and th- and that's what's going to yeah, change yeah. over time um, yeah yeah as well um yeah yeah. Anyway, okay. So, so we can kind of have that in the background. But so, so, so here's my thought: is this is where we can do the parallel with Calabrian, right? So we begin with that that right. flashback to Calabrian's kidnapping, and we can have some visual parallels between you know when we start the story of um, of the. I guess we we need to bring in Galadriel, don't we? If somebody's going to be telling the story, we have to somehow mm-hmm. segue from Arwen's troubles to somebody actually telling the story of uh, the awakening of the elves. And I guess that would probably be Galadriel or Celeborn. Who would we want to put this story in the mouth of Galadriel or Celeborn? Maybe Celeborn. Let's do Celeborn. Let's I mean, give the Celeborn the guy. first word. Okay. Since Galadriel's yes, obviously going to get the last word. Because Galadriel word. always gets to talk. I mean, she's right. doing voiceovers right and left. Right. Right. Yeah. That would actually be kind of interesting to have, uh, uh, to have to 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 have that be Celeborn, yeah, yeah, to bring him in as the sort of the first and primary spokesperson. I mean, remember how she introduces Celeborn to the Fellowship when they arrive, and she has these really fabulous things she says about him. Only we really never see evidence of it, yeah. so we're kind of left to believe that she's just kind of like you know pumping up his ego. Let's actually have him demonstrate all of those things that she describes about him. Right, <laughs> exactly, and let's and like. Rather than making it sound like a kind of joke, right? Uh, or like, you know, right, uh, right. Of, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Celeborn is the giver of great of, of great gifts, right? Absolutely, yeah. 
yeah yeah so it's, it's all him obviously um but yeah and uh, and by the way i think again since we're joining the elves kind of in medius race and everything, i think we have i think kelleborn's there i think we have kelleborn there oh like absolutely yes because we're gonna and need in fact him. that's another reason why he's the one to tell the story in fact yeah because we're going to need him. We're going to need him at, uh, at, 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 you know, he, we're going to want him to be, um, again, we need to minimize characters and we need to, to, you know, time can pass, but we, we, we need to have as few characters as possible. Just like, and meanwhile, this person born and grew up and now they're a character, right? Which is going to happen a lot already in this, but that's going to happen, especially over in, over in Valinor. But I think having, um, having Celeborn, be one of those elves that is hunting for Elway, you know, when he uh, 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 is, you know, hanging out with Millian. Um, is it going to look exactly the same? No, I would think he would look different, but I'm not sure how. Um, uh, well, I mean, for sure, he's not going to have his fancy clothes on, and that's one thing for sure. Right, but... right. But yeah, no, I mean, like I said, this this comes into so yeah, Hakan, no, no Galathon, no. Now again, I I, th- I think we need to minimize, not maximize, elvish characters. Rather than saying like, let's bring in every single elvish character that Tolkien ever invented, I think we need to we need to keep this as manageable as. But people are gonna have a hard enough time. People already do have a hard enough time with the elvish characters in the Silmarillion. Uh, I think we need to be a little bit efficient here. I mean, that's why I think the elves, the leaders of the of the Sindar, those elves who remain, uh, you know, and ultimately become the elves of Doriath when Elway comes, you know, out of hibernation with Millian, you know, their little honeymoon uh, hibernation. Uh, th- that has to be a small, no- you know, a small number of recognizable characters that we want people to know and to remember. You know, so we're we're, we're talking we're talking. Uh, uh, um, uh, Mablung, Beleg, Dairon, Celeborn, basically. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Um, because those are the only ones of the Sindar who are really going to end up being important later on. And if Celeborn is going to be there, and I think, basically, if we're going to introduce Galadriel to Celeborn um, in Doriath, which I think is what we want to do, then we should make him there at the beginning of Doriath. Why, why shouldn't we? Um, that makes him older than Goadriel, but that's cool. I mean, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's not her better, so he can at least be her elder. That, that seems to work for me, actually. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, so I, I think that we don't introduce any more Sindar characters. I mean, that's already a lot, right? And we kind of need them all. We, we kind of need all four of those. Dairon has a particular role to play in the Luthien story, which is going to be important. Um, you know, Mablung and Beleg are both going to be important in the Turin story and later on in the large, you know, in the in season four in the larger kind of Beleriand plot. They're, de- they're you know, they're, they're the military leaders um, of uh, of Doriath. Um, and Celeborn, of course, is our link forward and in, in, in who's going to meet Goandrio. So, yeah. So, again, I, I think we have to we have to sensibly minimize um, the Elvish characters that we have, which means I think we need to have Celeborn at, at Quivian and, um, and Círdan. And I mean, basically all the characters that are going to be important in the first half of season one have to be there already. I mean, I think I, I think we need to have, you know, Lenway and Círdan and Olway and Elway and uh, uh, Celeborn. And we don't have to introduce Mablung and Beleg yet because they're not important yet or Dairon. The three of those can come in in that episode. Ke- but but Celeborn can be there. Um, uh, 
at the beginning. So yeah, so let's let's have so 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 again we have the flashback and then Kelborn comes up behind her and looks you know and he stands next to her and they're looking out at at Dol Guldur and and we have some kind of some somebody who's way better at writing dialogue than I am can create like a cunning segue from you know thinking about the shadow and how the shadow is marring the forest there and. Um, and, uh, you know, Arwen asking like something along the lines of like, why should it always be thus that like the shadow, you know, Mar, you know, why is the shadow and, you know, and why is it there and why should it be Mar? Cause remember she's upset about the rise of the shadow because again, her like mentor just left and, and like the rise of the shadow means like the end of the time of the elves and everyone's, there's like all this elvish peer pressure to leave middle earth because like, that's, that's like what all the cool elves are doing. And, and, and she's upset about that. So she's upset about the rise of the shadow and Caliborn can transition. And to his this. response can be, "It's always been. It's there. always been. There. The shadow's always been. Yeah, there. the shadow's yeah. always been. The you know the the peace and beauty of of Middle Earth and and you know our lives under the trees has always been marred by the shadow, and that's where we get. The, and so then we segue to the first story, which is of several elves out, like walking through the forest, right? And they're ambushed. And that's where we can have a, like a visual parallel between the ambush of Calabrian right. and the ambush of these elves. And I think there needs to right. be a survivor one survivor and by the uh by sort of the logic of uh character economy the survivor of that attack should be somebody important i don't know it might be too hokey to make it Kelleborn himself um but it should be somebody um, so the two that get abducted are wearing red shirts right <laughs> exactly yes yeah. so we have a couple we have a it could be a bunch right we could have like you know half That's a dozen true. elves walking around and uh you have five of them wearing red tunics who get uh, who get who get uh captured um but we should have we shouldn't have that much detail right i mean that is there shouldn't be um because right. it's it's kind of uh it's kind of it's kind of oh uh hakan wants it to be dairon um, and he sings about it. Maybe Hawkeye. I, I want to save Dairon. Again, I don't want We have enough characters. We don't need... We, we need Dairon, Beleg, and Mablung eventually. But we don't need them yet. They don't have anything they have to do in Season 2. Um, they will have stuff that they will need to do in Season 3 and 4. Um, and so we can introduce them as, like, cameos. Um, we can, like, introduce their names in the episode in which... Like, in the Sindar episode down the road um, right. so that we're ready for them when we come back to Doriath later on in, in, uh, in season three. Um, but I don't want to give them a major, I, I, I want to save, especially at the beginning here as we're introducing characters, essentially, they should be the characters that are going to be like the pivotally important characters for the next, uh, for the next three episodes. What if it's, um, what if it's Elway? Yeah. Hakan, I know. Yeah, Hakan is remembering the line in the Silmarillion that the earliest songs of the elves are about the hunter, and so he's wanting to have like one of those songs. That's a really cool idea, Hakan. I really love that. Um, but uh, but it doesn't have to be Dairon who sings it. It could. I mean, we could. We can. Um, I'm thinking. What if it's one of the guys who's going to be one of the ambassadors? What if it's Elway or Finway or even Ingway, um, who is the survivor who comes back? Um, that would be that because again, th- those uh, when you talk about episode one, the characters we need most urgently to introduce are those three because they're going to be the three characters. That would be cool, to... given that he's Thingol. Right. Exactly. He's going to have his own, you know, thing with the orcs later. 
Yeah, Hakan, I was thinking the same thing. Hakan says Elway would be cool since he's lost later. Yeah, it's like, but you just yeah. can't let this guy wander off on his own in the woods, right? I mean, this guy is like a danger magnet, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, I agree. I was kind of thinking the same things. All right, so 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 we say it's Elway. Um, so Elway and a bunch of other red shirt like Tulare folks are out wandering in the woods and remember it's not going to be over luminous right we're not talking we can't think about a sun dappled walk through the woods because there's no sun um so they're walking beneath the trees in the starlight so it's reasonably dark so we the scene that we're going to be showing what we're going to actually be showing on screen would basically be a fear in the dark scene where all of a sudden there is this, you know, rushing and we will see like glimpses in the starlight of a great horseman. Um, and then all of a sudden he, you know, like, you know, maybe he's knocked out or something or I don't know. Maybe he's got to run, uh, I suppose, um, or else he would have been taken too. Um but then he, you know, he goes back, and and all of the elves, you know, that all of his companions have been have been taken. So he's got to then go back to Quivianen, and tell the rest of them about this. And then there will be other there will be other incidents. Um, I'm thinking we might want to go back and forth between the frame and the main uh, the main narrative here. This is something I think we're going to need to do more of in this um, in this season i get the feeling that we're going to because so much um we had a lot of time passing issues in season one of course obviously but it was kind of different like each incident um each episode was itself kind of like we didn't have the same problem in season one in season one we didn't have a lot of you know centuries need to pass during the course of this episode problems Right. Rarely were we in that position in season one. We might have like vast spans of time happening between episodes. But rarely like in the middle, whereas like the journey is going to be, I mean, there are going to be times, I think, where we're going to want lots. of, And this is going to be episode one. Clearly, I mean, we need some time for there to, uh, uh, you know, for this, uh, you know, sort of crisis to be. um deepening here at Quivianen and, uh, you know, more elves begin to disappear and, you know, the fear, you know, people talking in fear of, you know, the hunter in the dark and people wondering, like, who is it? What is it? Like, is there something else out there? Are we, you know, obviously we we are not alone, Um, you know, and, and, and this is, I mean, again, think about the elves' perspective. They don't know that anyone else exists but themselves. So they're you know the 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 kind of like big picture metaphysical dilemma that this leads to like are they alone in a hostile world you know i mean is the only other thing that exists besides them merely like predatory and evil um is this the you know they thought that they were living in a peaceful and benevolent world is it turning out that that's not the case? You know, that in fact they're living in this harsh and hostile world and the only force that exists beyond them is, is, uh, is, uh, is malicious. Um, I mean, that's the, uh, it's gotta be a question that, you know, arises for them. Um, so, so yeah, again, I, I, I think we gotta make time pass. So we gotta, we gotta, con- we gotta consider the pause and I'll leave this to the script writers, but we gotta consider maybe coming back to the frame, um, 
on a couple of times to, to, to let time pass. Um, but then Orame comes. Now, how do we want Orame to arrive? Do we ha- do we want to have a sort of a parallel scene? Does he encounter one or two? He comes upon them singing, right? And one, one of the things that I want to be careful to preserve is the parallel that I really like between when Orame discovers the elves for the first time and when Finrod discovers the men for the first time in Beleriand. Um, and remember, the parallel is established by the fact that you have the 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 finder uh, coming in and hearing that like he sees their community, just like Finrod sees the men sitting around the fire uh, and singing songs. Um, and he sits in, in hiding and listens to them. Um, and then remember, after the men are asleep, he comes in and he picks up one of their rude harps and he starts playing uh, his own uh, uh, song and singing a song of Valinor. And they wake up and they're like, is this a vision? Is this a god? What's going on here? Um yeah, uh, Hakan uh, is recalling again from the Silmarillion that the first sign, it's Nahar, his horse, who first notices them. Um, so Nahar sets up a great neighing, um, and then Orame stops, and uh, um, and then he hears them singing. But we can't do this from his point of view. We have to, I think we have to stay from the elves' perspective all the way through, which means we're not going to, so Hakan, that would mean if we did that, we'd have to have them hearing the neighing of Nahar through the woods, but if they did, they'd stop singing, presumably. Um, so, uh, um, yeah. Oh, that's an interesting parallel, Robert. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're right. Robert Brown is thinking about the parallel also of uh, of, of Treebeard standing and listening to Mary and Pippin's conversation uh, and wondering what they are. Uh, that that's that that's a fun kind of parallel to, uh, uh, yeah. So Orame, Finrod, and then and then Treebeard. I like that. Um, but um, anyway, uh, <laughs> Karita says. You mean we can't have a Disney horse with personality? Uh, well, we can, though. I would think it wouldn't be quite like <laughs> one of those spunky Disney horses. Uh, <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, the relationship between Nahar and Orame would be a little different, just as the relationship between Huan and uh, and uh, his fellow hounds and, uh, and Orame would be a little bit different. Um, by the way, Huan totally gets a cameo. In this episode, no question, Huan is there. Oh yeah, the end, definitely. Right? Clearly, clearly, Huan is there. Um, he may actually be the one that sees him, you know, hears or sees him next after the horse. Yeah, yeah, actually, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, it, it would be going too far to actually give Huan the privilege of being the one to to, to first yeah. send or discover them, but yeah. it's sure tempting, isn't it? Um, Very tempting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Chris Graham asks, uh, uh, "How about to uh, you know parallel the journey through Mirkwood with the dwarves? They keep hearing the singing, but the elves would disappear as soon as they arrived." Um, that is a, a, a sort of an interesting parallel, and the idea of like hearing elves sing, you know, eerie elf singing coming through the woods, um, does kind of suggest that parallel. Obviously, we can't do the same thing with Orame just because the the dynamics are different, right? The the elves disappearing is a mortal wandering into fairy dynamic, right? Yeah, if anything, it would be the other way around, <laughs> The other right? way around, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Orme would keep disappearing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Orme is not the, the one that they'd be vanishing on, um, but um, 
<laughs> no, if anything, I'm imagining a joke going the other way around where somebody comes across them singing and the elves are like, okay, you know what we really need? We really need to develop a technique where we just vanish when somebody busts in on us like that. <laughs> let's, let's practice that, guys, shall we? Uh, <laughs> I'm sick and tired of people jumping in on us like this. I was going to say way. something that you get a Valinor, but actually the elves that do it, are not the Valinorian elves. They're not so. the Valinorian elves. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's a, it's just a, it's just a skill they hone over time. An innate characteristic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, so we have to maintain the elves' point of view. We can't do the, which, which is kind of a loss, right? I mean, it's kind of too bad. It would be really fun to do the discovery from Orame's point of view. I mean, Hakan, I'm thinking in the same directions you are. When I think about that scene, the scene of the Orame discovery, my mind immediately shifts to Orame's point of view. You know, hearing the singing through the, you know, Nahar pulling up and neighing and then him, you know, listening and hearing the 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 elves singing through the woods and then, you know, him, you know, sort of slowly coming, you know, him dismounting from Nahar and and and, and coming forward and, and seeing, you know, the... You've got like the you know the, the the leaves kind of part and you see the shores of the lake and the elves singing like that's how I always pictured that scene because of course the narrative of the Silmarillion does follow Orame so that's how I've always been kind of invited to have always felt invited to imagine it but we're not doing it that way um, and I think we need to be consistent with that I think we need to to show and and the scene looks quite different from. The elves' point of view. And that's the thing I think we need to capture. Because when Orame arrives, it should be freaking terrifying. I mean, it, it, it like, panic in the streets, especially given what they've... Yeah. I mean, because one of the things they can be talking about, like, we can even give them this dialogue in their response to the kidnappings and, the and you know, the Dark Rider, that, like, there will be those who will say, like, should we, like, protect ourselves like do we need to fortify um ourselves because like is he going to attack you know are, is is it, it's are we going to get invaded here are we safe even here on the shores of the lake or even on the island or even on our tree flats in the island you know it's it's are, are we going to be safe and then lo and behold this uh you know uh gigantic or not quite gigantic but large very imposing uh clearly powerful and hugely intimidating figure then rides right into the middle of them. And they're going to think like, here it is. It's the invasion, right? We're under attack. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. He's come for all of us now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Karita, I agree. We don't want to have panic at the disco. Uh, yeah. You know, we don't want to have scenes of like people, elves running around with their hands in the air and trampling over each other and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but terror, they should be they should be terrified. Um, but again, the the fear that they feel for Orame is different. It's of a different kind than the fear that they have been living in fear. Now, fear has become a part of their lives ever since the abductions have begun. Um, and the experience and boy, this is going to be this 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 will be really tricky to capture uh, on film, but. They are terrified when they see Orame, but the fear, the quality of their reaction, the fear that they feel for Orame is not, in fact, the like fulfillment or the the sort of the consummation of the fear that they have been feeling. It's the antidote to it. You know, it is it is it is the consolation for 
the fear that they have been feeling. Um, and several of them need to acknowledge that. Not all, I think. Some are just terrified. Some believe that it's a ruse. Um, some believe that it's an illusion. That again, this is just like the the you know the 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 hunter who has been striking from hiding is now coming out into the open. Um, right. Uh, and uh, and and trying to deceive them by a fair semblance, because goodness knows there's going to be lots of precedent for that. Right. Um, you know uh, uh, that is bad guys coming in fair semblance and trying to deceive them that way. Um, so yeah, how can I agree? Paralyzed with fear is better than running around in panic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think some do run away. I mean, I think that we should have some flee, um, and, and not come back. I mean, basically, and, and so that's the division that is going to be established at the, that's going to, it's going to be really solidified at the debate is something that we can, we can show its beginnings. You know, those who, who, who merely run before him and don't ever even give him a chance. They'll have their time to speak their piece and make their argument um, about how this is all a trick. This is like a, um, you know, a trap basically at the debate. But, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right, Robert. It's not precedent. It's post-cident. Yes, exactly. Uh, this will be a problem later on, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, good. Um, oh, interesting. Tony Mead suggests there should be a faction that don't believe in the hunter in the first place. Uh, that'd be, I mean, of course, we need some, we need some, uh, they need to, I mean, like, some people will be legitimately vanishing, so they would need a, they'd need a, an explanation for where the missing people have gone if they don't believe in the hunter at all. Um, but um, but uh, yeah, Tony, the text does say that some of them fled and were forgotten. Absolutely, um, uh, the forgetting won't happen until later on. But um, um, okay, so um, like I said, I can I can I. This, what should be going on here? Like, what should be at stake for the elves as they're confront as are confronted by Orame, um, should is clear in my mind. But how to depict it and what, like, what to do visually and how to do it visually, what to do in dialogue, that is not clear in my mind. But fortunately, that's not my job, so I'm going to leave that to you guys uh, to sort <laughs> out. Um, but. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's, I think, I think, I think that's all good. As I said, I do think Orame needs to be large, but not huge. Um, I mean, he needs to be, um, um, he, and we talked about sort of the Valar kind of accommodating themselves to the elves and changing their appearance after, um, uh, you know, in the later seasons. Um, I think that he should be like a little too big at the beginning and he should actually like come down to their size a little more. Um, so he's still, yeah, there's still, there's still perhaps a difference, but, but he should come among them as one of them, but not when they first see him, um, when they first see him, he's going to be, he is going to be awful. He should inspire absolute terror. Um, okay. Um, yeah, Chris Graham says the king of the Vanyar, Ingwe, should be the first to approach Orame and talk to him. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. I think Ingwe and the Vanyar will be the one. I mean, obviously the Vanyar are the ones who take to him most. The Vanyar are the ones who will have a, a 100% uh, emigration rate out of Quivienen. So, so yes, yes, they, they, they're all going to take to, to, to the Valar most thoroughly and most quickly. Um, so right. having Ingwe be the one who steps forward first, that also establishes like why should the king of the Vanyar be considered like the high king of all the elves it that kind of explains it right um that uh you know he's the one who steps forward and basically is the spokesperson for all elfdom right in that initial encounter with Horame and that establishes him in that like overarching leadership position so that I think makes uh makes a lot of sense to me um where do we end the episode? What's the climax of episode one? Invitation? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, episode two is going to be the actual, like, the, 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 the journey of the ambassadors. That's exactly what I was wondering. Like, do we, do we have him issuing the invitation? Do we have his disappearance? I mean, he he goes back away, right? He's got to run back to the Valar and tell them, "I found him! I found him! I found him!" So, um, do we do we have him leave and then? And yet, you're right, Marie. The Valar do have to debate the invitation. So, so yeah, so he's not going to just deliver the invitation right off anyway. So we don't have that happen. We've got to open with that in episode two. Um, but. Um, uh, but okay, all right. So, do we end with Ingwe's approach, right? Um, do we end with Orame's departure? I mean, I'm trying to think. There's, there's no like resolution exactly. I'm trying to think of a, a something that seems like a satisfying end to an episode arc. Um, yeah. You know, so it doesn't just kind of peter out. Yeah. I mean, his departure and his saying that he will come again and some of the elves looking happy about that and some of the, um, um, uh, some of the, some of the elves looking, looking doubtful, looking doubtful and skeptical and, um, do we end with him leaving, getting the invitation, him leaving, and then we end with some more elves getting abducted? Um, do we end with the frame? I think we do end with the frame, which would permit us to have the episode itself be not have not not have a huge amount of closure. But that's a cop out. We got to be careful with that. Um, but we can do. Make... We plant the seeds of. Arwen's activism with this, you know, in other words, somehow the ending in her conversation with Caliborn starts to open the question up that we're going to be seeing her asking more and more. Yeah, let's think about that. How would Arwen respond? How would Arwen respond yeah. to this story? You know, what what's going to be her reaction to hearing Especially in the context of her having been thinking about her mom. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, okay, so Orame departs. Orme departs and Kelleborn stops the telling and 
Um, so how is she going to respond? She's like, so what's your point, Grandpa? <laughs> that was great, Grandpa. But how does that help? Come on now. Yeah, really. Um, yeah. Uh, well, his point is that the shadow. So if we go with this, the shadow's always been with us thing. Shadow's always been with us, right? There. That's where their conversation started. Um, and right. um, would she... for a time we thought there might be be protection with the Valar, you know, I mean, that, or in the earlier conversation. Yeah. Um, this is how it started. I don't know. Yeah. So it yeah. Um, how we close it, but. Maybe. She, okay. All right. Got it. Got it. Her response is, so grandpa, are you saying, and, it's, and of course everybody knows I'm just joking. Right. But I just, I can't resist right. the humor of calling uh, <laughs> Galadriel and Caliborn. <laughs> Grandma and grandpa. grandpa, like I just so I'm gonna keep doing that, but it's purely for humor. I'm not actually suggesting that in the dialogue <laughs> she calls him grandpa. Uh, it's just so, but but humor me. Um, okay, so she's like, her response would be because they the, the conversation begins with that yes, this you know it's always been like that. The shadow's been here from our beginnings, and then she's gonna end with saying, "So, grandpa, are you saying that the only." the only remedy from the shadow is, is comes from the West, right? So going to the West is the only way to escape the shadow. You know, the, the only, the, so, you know, uh, because that, that already to Arwen, that's going to be what's at stake, right? When the Valar show up and they respond to the, and, and, you know, so, okay, so you've got the shadow in the forest and you've got the light in the West, right? Those are established in that first story in, epi- in the, in the episode one story. And, Arwen's going to see that, right? So again, in Arwen's mind, her question is, what is the right response to the shadow? Is the, respi- is the right response to the shadow to stay and fight it? Or is the right response to the shadow to flee from it, basically, to, you know, to, to depart and go into the West where there is no shadow? Um, yeah, exactly. Chris Graham says, are you saying that the way to fight the darkness is to run away from it? Um, ah, exactly. I like yeah. That. yeah, that's... Especially since- we've been showing elves running away. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and it's, and it's kind of interesting because her perspective on this question is not going to be the same one that the elves in Quivianen have, right? That, um, her, her perspective is different because the light in the West means something different to her than it does to the elves at Quivianen and they don't get it yet. She's not seen it herself, of course, neither is Celeborn for that matter. But, um, but at least she knows about it. It's, it's an established thing. Um, they're going to be like, do we run away from this bright, shiny, uh, terrifying dude? Or, you know, do we trust him and go with him? Um, so, uh, you know, there's kind of a, is this guy a good guy or a bad guy? You know, are we, you know, do we have help or are we on our own? Um, you know, those are going to be the questions for the, uh, for the, for the elves at Quivienne. And she's going to be looking at that situation. She's going to be jumping ahead. Right. Um, and, and in that way, we can show how this question, we can be setting up how the question of what the elves in the first age there do is basically anticipating um, uh, Arwen's dilemma. We don't get all of it, of course, in that first episode, but I think that that I think that that works. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, yeah, that actually putting putting the, the, the sort of the the closure, sort of the mini closure in the frame there, I think I think works well for that. 
in some ways, you know, I actually am feeling having started having started off saying that, you know, this frame has the potential to be really boring and we should kind of do less of it so it's as little boring as possible. In some ways I'm actually feeling like the 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 frame here feels more intimately connected to the story than mm-hmm. the, than the, mm-hmm. than it did in season 1 even though the season 1 frame was kind of more eventful and more interesting um from a like, purely objective standpoint well the interesting thing is is our frame gives us this really interesting perspective back yes at the story, you know what i mean it really it after, contextualizes after thousands of thing. years and yeah. stuff you know yeah. what i mean it's going to be so yeah. that's going to be really interesting absolutely absolutely um, and it's more, I mean, the other thing, the other issue is it's more relevant, right? I mean, the gap, mm-hmm. not just the gap in time, obviously, mm-hmm. between, you know, the time of Aragorn, uh, Aragorn's childhood and the time of creation, you know, it's, it's not just that, that huge gap in time, but, but the fact that it was the story of the Valar, right? Um, whereas here we're going to, I mean, Celeborn himself, the narrator himself is going to be a character inside the frame that, that kind of, right. close, you know, this is now Arwen is hearing her family history here not the ancient history of how things began at the beginning of the world right um which even for elrond is distant so yeah yeah that'll work okay cool so um so take it away script writers uh and uh, (laughs) see, see what you can do with that uh i think we've got we've got some good concepts here so for next time um, next time we are doing the uh, the um, the invitation to Valinor and the trip of the ambassador. So we're going to go to Valinor in the next episode. So remember the debate uh, about whether or not the elves should leave Quivianen and go to Valinor is going to happen in episode three. So episode two is the ambassadors being shown a good time and then uh, deciding that they want to go. So here are my questions. Um, question number one. Do we show the debate of the Valar? Um, you know, we've been talking about sticking to the elves' point of view. Um, how? But if we don't actually depict the council, if we don't leave the elves' point of view and depict the council of the Valar, how are we going to show the debate and some of the Valar being for this and Olmo being against it? Right? We presumably we want to do that somehow, right? Um, if how do we how do we do it? Um, and uh, so, okay, so that's that's my question number one. Question number two: um, How do the ambassadors get selected? Um, you know, get, so think some about that scene. Orame comes back and he's like, "I would like to invite you guys over." Um, how does how does the the whole ambassador thing come out, and how do the three of them, um, you know, end up kind of going and 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 uh, and and being picked? And then more about the ambassadors: How do we distinguish among the three ambassadors? Um, you know, we've got uh, Finway, Elway, and Ingway. We have Finway and Elway as buddies. We talked about that before. They're good friends. Um, how do we distinguish between them? We don't want to just have the three of them be in walking in step the whole time and nodding and, and all being equally enthusiastic. What kind of points of view might we want to reflect in each one of these? Because we have to think not only about making this, you know, making the trip of the ambassadors be something which really does some work as far as capturing the elvish reaction to Valinor and this whole, the whole overarching question of where is the ultimate home of the elves. You know, we're going to need to voice those concerns and that issue through the ambassadors, but of course we also need to be thinking about their future careers, especially Elway and Finway, um, uh, who are going to have particularly long future careers. Well, 
Elways will be longer than Finways, but anyway, they're going to be really important later on. So how do we handle them as characters, and how do we manage to voice the different Elvish perspectives through them, which I think we need to do. Um, uh, then my last question is a simple question, but I want you to think about it because I don't want to solve this problem ourselves. <laughs> how do they travel? Um, how do, they, do, do we do travel at all? This is, again, another one of those things which Tolkien can say in half a sentence, and it's simple enough in a story, but when you actually depict it, like, how do they get to Valinor? Um, that presumably, it doesn't take them years and centuries to walk. Um, that, that Do we just flash over there and presume that... But, I mean, or ha- has much time passed? when? Because this is going to be... We do have to think about this a little bit, because when they return to Quithianon um, in Episode 3... We need to know, like, how much time has passed? Have they been away for a really long time? Have there been a bunch of elves that have given up on the idea of when they'll, uh, you know, that they'll ever return? Um, you know, how, what's up with that? So, um, so think about that. Brianna has an early vote for them riding on the back of Orame's giant horse. Uh, was it, does, does Orame bring spare horses? But and I'm like, it's really easy to be silly about this. But I, but I do think we we need to we need to think about it. We can a ride bit. the hounds. They can ride the hounds. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So those are my questions for next time. Um, well, thanks everybody for joining us. You guys have, uh, uh, oh, and I said the script writers have their work uh, uh, cut out for them. Maria's pointing out that uh, the script discussions are actually starting tomorrow. Uh, so tomorrow at uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time will be the first meeting of the uh, Which, for those of, for those people listening, asynchronously is the 23rd of July, 2016. <laughs> so if, after much. that point, forget it. <laughs> 2016. I think you said the wrong year. Um, yes, yes, oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's happening very soon. Um, but if you want to, uh, Marie, how, how do people, where do people go to, to, to get in on, I know you're going to be having ongoing discussions, but where, where do people get in on the, uh, discussions? Um, how can they, how can they connect with the other script writers? Of course, obviously going to the discussion board, um, is the first obvious way to, uh, get connected with people who are working on the script. Um, and I believe the, um, uh, the okay. Yeah, there's a post in the okay. There's a uh, there's a thread called the kickoff uh, script discussion for season two um, uh, on the forums. So go to that thread and you'll uh, find the information you need there. Great, great. Okay, excellent. So uh, I, 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 a special thanks to everybody who uh, helps out with that. I'll be interested to hear what you guys are coming up with as we go along. And, uh, and of course, we look forward to coming back and talking about these things uh, at the end of the season as we go. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. And I will say thanks for listening and Godspeed.